0: Um, if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 1, and while you're doing that, let me, um, let me talk to you a little bit more about Advent. Um, I realize some of us, maybe many of us, have already been opening Advent calendars in our homes But as Pete said earlier on, today is officially the first day of Advent. I'm not sure I fully understood this until this year, and I realise that means I've got through quite a lot of life, not really understanding when Advent starts. But apparently it's it's the fourth Sunday before Christmas. It is confusing because sometimes it's in November, but because of the lay of the land this December, today is the first day of Advent. So I don't know if that means if you've been opening your calendar, maybe you've been doing something you shouldn't have been doing. I don't know. There's no judgement here. There is no biblical mandate, of course, as well, for us to observe Advent. But many Christians down the ages and around the world have found it to be a spiritually helpful and enjoyable season. Each of us maybe have our own variety of uh, December traditions, Advent traditions that we do ourselves or with family or with friends, all while we're waiting patiently and expectantly for the coming of Christmas. Our traditions, as well, I think, often tend to build up and accumulate over the years, don't they? Uh, I think perhaps the older we get, you might find you've got more and more of these things that you like to do or things that other people impose on you at this time of year to do, from candles and lights and treats and wreaths to carols and special books and movies and outings and parties. All of these traditions... All of them can be good things, but what's been freshly brought home to me this year, and maybe it has been to you as well, is that in reality, in every year, there will always be people amongst our church family for whom Christmas is going to be especially difficult. At different times and in different years, one one or more of us might find ourselves walking through especially difficult seasons, and for some of us, perhaps... For many of us, this year is going to be difficult. Some of us may not feel we want to celebrate Advent and Christmas in, in all of the same ways that we would have done in previous years, following all of the old traditions we used to do. Yet what's also been freshly brought home to me this year is that while, of course, traditions can have their place and play their part, they're not themselves the true essence of Advent or of Christmas. Removing some of them, altering many of them, doesn't change the real heart of this season. And in fact, sometimes things happen that give us an even keener focus on the real reason for this season. Because what Advent is really all about, as I hope we know, it's all about waiting and longing for Jesus. It's all about looking to him, beholding him and adoring him. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about him. About him and the miracle of his coming to us and the promise that he's coming back to us. That, of course, is what we intend to be doing as a church together all throughout December, particularly on our Sundays together. We want to see more of Jesus each time we gather. We want to adore him. Whatever our present circumstances, we long to behold him more clearly and treasure him more dearly this Christmas. And it's Jesus that we want to behold again this morning, isn't it? We just sang it and we sang it loud and we sang it With all of our hearts, we long to see him and adore him. To look to Jesus today in the midst of all the blessings and the hardships of this present broken world that we live in. God with us, then, is the title that I've given to this morning's sermon. God with us. And here in the passage we're going to focus on, in the midst of a very familiar story, Here are events that have the power to freshly captivate our hearts with comfort and grace and glory. Here is the beginning of Matthew's account of how the king of all creation came down into the world that he had created. Matthew chapter 1, reading from verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now I'm keen, as I'm sure you will be, to get us as quickly as possible to Jesus himself this morning. And especially to the two names that are used here to refer to him. But first of all, Matthew does some important scene setting. And it all begins with a betrothal between a young woman named Mary and a man called Joseph. I know these things are familiar. But like most things in life, there are great bumps in the road, even here at the outset. So what is a betrothal? We might compare it to some extent with being engaged today. There are similarities to modern-day engagement. But at the same time, betrothal was a much more serious and significant and binding thing. It was a solemn pledge to marry. It was a legally binding agreement between two people and their families. So much so that though the couple weren't yet married or living together, they would already be referred to as husband and wife. Matthew does that here in verse 19 when he refers to her husband Joseph. Even though they're not, not yet married, they're not living together, sleeping together, but, but already her husband Joseph. This is how tight a thing betrothal is, how significant it was in that day. And the only way to call off a betrothal was to get a divorce. And so here are Mary and Joseph, not yet married, but very much betrothed, very soon to be married together, and then Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. In fact, by this point, she's probably three to four months pregnant. She's been away uh, with her cousin Elizabeth, and now she returns. Just put yourself for a moment in Joseph's shoes here. Of course, he's going to assume that Mary has been with another man and has been unfaithful to him. And, And we're told that being a just man who wants a godly marriage... He doesn't think it's right to go through with the wedding. But being a compassionate man, he also doesn't want to shame Mary publicly either. And so he decides to divorce her quietly, to try as best he can to protect her reputation. But it's not an easy decision. And even as he's wrestling with this great decision in his life, an angel appears to him in a dream and reveals to him what is really going on here. We'll get to what's really happening in just a moment. But, But the real problem for us this morning is we know this story so well, don't we? Everyone almost knows this story. Schools, in schools today, still the nativity story has played out. And so many people know, at least in part, this story. We know this story so well. We know this the, the, the angel's explanation of a virgin birth, of a virgin conception. It might not surprise us or shock us in the way that it should. It's just part of the Christmas story, isn't it? Of course there's a virgin birth in there. But think how it would have stunned Joseph. How it would have arrested him where he stood and shocked him at what, was, what he was hearing and what was now taking place. Nothing like this had ever happened before or since. The angel's words are brand new information for him. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, from God. To put it simply, the child now growing in Mary's womb is no ordinary child. But what exactly exactly does that mean? What would Joseph see five or six months later as he sort of craned his neck over and looked into that manger? Are we we now to expect kind of a baby with two heads or a very angelic face and a a halo like you see in some of the paintings over, over the baby's head? No, it's nothing like that. Nothing that would be visible like that at all. This isn't about his external appearance. It's about his parentage. Quite simply, every other child ever born has had a human mother and a human father. But this child has God himself as his father. Hence why Mary can be pregnant and yet still a virgin. Behold, the virgin is with child. This is unprecedented and incredible, a miracle. And yet, then Matthew reminds his readers, long before this came to pass, God promised that one day this very thing would happen. Verse 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's always nice, isn't it, I think, to be forewarned of big surprises. If you're anything like me, being thrown a surprise party wouldn't be your idea of a fun evening. I, for one, would much rather know if something big like that was coming. And in the case of a surprise party, I I would like to know so that I could try and get out of it. Here, though, there is a clear forewarning of this incredible event that's coming... But these words, this promise is written 700 years before Mary's betrothal to Joseph. This is 700 years of waiting for something incredible. Sometimes, especially for the children amongst us and also for the adults, one month, December, can seem like a long time to wait for Christmas. Uh, But I I got my calculator out yesterday and I worked out this is more than 10,000 months worth of waiting and longing and hoping of both men and angels craning their necks and looking in eager expectation to see what the outcome of this promise would be. But now, Matthew says, at long last, the wait is finally over. This child, miraculously conceived in Mary's womb, is going to be the fulfillment of that mind-boggling promise. Just like in Narnia, yeah. I know that is a story, this is history, that's a story, but just as the curse of winter finally begins to lift when Aslan arrives in Narnia, so with this new child growing inside Mary, the first Christmas is finally arriving after many centuries of waiting. And this child, this baby right now, this fetus, comes not with one name but two names here in this passage. Two names that tell us so much about him. One name telling us who he is, the other telling us what he has come to do. And it's those two names that I would like us, I'd love us to spend the rest of our time together this morning exploring. The first name, Emmanuel, is, is so deep. I want to spread it over two points. I have two headings for this one. And then the second name, Jesus, is going to be the focus of our third and final heading. We're going to see that this child then is first of all God. Secondly, God with us. And thirdly, God with us to save us. And May the Lord help us now to freshly behold and adore our Savior as we consider his names together. First of all then, he is quite simply God. They shall call his name Emmanuel, God. With us. I struggled this week to know where to begin with this, I'll be honest. What we have to remember here is that this is very much a human being growing inside Mary. And yet, at one and the same time, this is also the living God. And honestly, I find myself, and I found myself at my keyboard, and I find myself now again uh, w- without words really, to begin to be able to describe this when you really consider it. God with us. God in a womb. God in a manger. God in human flesh. How is it that he who made us became like us? That he who is our God Became our fellow man? How is it that he who feeds all living things could become hungry and thirsty for his mother's milk? How is it that he who holds all created things together could lay tired and asleep in a manger? Fully God and fully man. I did actually, what I think is always a good thing to do, a wise thing to do when you're struggling for words to describe something uh, profound and biblical, I, I got out our statement of faith. Here's what our church's statement of faith says. In this union, two whole, perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in the one person of the divine son, without confusion, mixture or change. Thus our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, is fully God and fully man. Or as Tim Chester puts it in slightly more everyday language, it's as if the splendor of God has been squeezed into a human body. Imagine trying to pack all your possessions into a suitcase, squashing it, pushing it, sitting on it, trying to cram them all in. That is what God did at the Incarnation. He took the fullness of the deity and squeezed it into bodily form and nothing was left out. Colossians 2 verse 9, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The Incarnation is without a shadow of a doubt the most extraordinary miracle in the whole Bible. The most Profound mystery in the whole universe. No wonder there are so many hymns written about this. So many hymns we love to sing at this time of year. You really have to sing about something like this, don't you? Charles Wesley wrote, he sung, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see." Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us. So what does this mean for us, that this tiny infant is God himself? It means, first of all, that God has definitively revealed himself to us. It means that we do not live in a silent universe. That the God who made us speaks to us. In the past, Hebrews 1 tells us that God spoke to us uh, in many, t- many times and in many ways. But now, he has spoken to us most definitively, most clearly and completely in his Son. The idea of God with us is not just some ab- abstract theological idea, some impersonal thing. Emmanuel is personal. He's got hands and feet and a face to look at. This is God with skin on. God with us is a person. Now the Jewish people of, Paul, of, um, of Matthew's day had such an exalted conception of God that they knew God had told them, don't make an image of me. They knew not to make an image of God. And that was something which apparently so amazed their their Roman conquerors, the, the Roman people around them, that they dubbed the Jewish people atheists, people without gods, because they didn't have any images of their gods. But against all of that background, here now is Matthew the Jew claiming not just that God himself has given us a perfect image of himself, but that that image is a living, breathing person. It's an amazing claim right here at the outset of Matthew's gospel. It is so ultimate that we don't need to look for God in any other place or object or religion. In fact, we categorically will not find a true image of him anywhere else. Only here, God reveals himself completely now in Jesus. That means, second of all, that, God, that the God who has revealed himself is exactly like Jesus. Uh, I, we really want to uh, unpack this some more in our carol service in a couple of weeks' time because this is something so important for our neighbours and our friends and our family members to grasp that God looks just like Jesus. That's what we want to try and explain in very simple terms in a couple of weeks. But it's so important for us to grasp this as well. We can, we can lose sight of this so quickly as Christians. That because Jesus is fully God, therefore we can be sure that God's character is exactly like Jesus' character. We can be sure of that. That God is exactly the kind of God who pours himself out in love towards his creatures because that is what he has done in the person of his son, Jesus. As human beings, we can so often have So many misconceptions about what God is like. So often when people think about God, they think of a distant, lonely being defined most of all by just cold, hard power and logic. Glenn Scrivener writes, a lot of people's theology of God is exposed at Christmas. They basically have this idea of God that's defined by bigness. And then whatever is going on in the manger, we almost don't want to take it too seriously. Yes, yes, but he's still really big. He's just on holiday from his deity at this point. Whereas Philippians 2 is saying, no, he's expressing his deity there. This is what deity looks like. Which is why Luther said, no other God have I but thee. Born in a manger, died on a tree. So whatever God you're thinking about that wouldn't stoop to the cross and the cradle... You're not thinking about the true God. This is what God looks like. To put it another way, there is nothing unchrist like about God's character. God the Father is just like his Son. Which each time we return to think about it should bring us the most incredible reassurance and comfort. Listen to Isaac Watson, another hymn. Till God in human flesh I see, my thoughts no comfort find. The holy, just, and sacred three are terrors to my mind. But if Emmanuel's face appear, my hope, my joy begins. His name forbids my slavish fear. His grace removes my sins. Behold, he is Emmanuel, God with us. The comfort of Christmas begins right here with that fact, that truth. But it isn't where it finishes. It's not all that we've got here this morning. This same name, Emmanuel, that tells us this is God, also tells us, secondly this morning, that he is God truly and permanently with us. God with us, second of all then, this morning. God with us now and always. Aren't you grateful that Matthew's gospel doesn't just start and end with the birth of Jesus? The God didn't just pop down for five minutes or even just for five months growing in a womb, only to be born and return to heaven. No, instead, this child, this man, lived his entire life with us and shared the fullness of human experience with us. That means he was crying and cooing and waking his parents, no doubt, even on that very first night. So apologies to whoever wrote Silent Night, but that bit's not right. He was a real baby. He shared in our everyday human limitations. He had to grow up just like us, slowly and gradually. He had to learn to walk and to learn his first words just like us. Later on, he had to go through all that's involved in going from being a boy to a man. And all through his life, he slept like us and ate like us. He laughed like us and wept like us. He worked like us. And took breaks like us. And none of these things as well did he do alone. He did them in community. He did them with people just like us. Friends and families, strangers and visitors. He truly came to be God with us in every possible way. Sharing in our humanity to the fullest possible extent. But we might, of course, look on, understandably, at the incarnation and say, well, it's wonderful that, that God came down, that Christ came down to be with people for 33 years on, on this earth. But still, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Way before my time. So what real difference does that make, even if it was a whole life? What, it, what difference does it make to us today? What difference does it make to my life and my trials today? Well, I wonder, if you ever noticed how Matthew's gospel not only starts but also finishes with the promise of God with us in Christ? It starts with God with us. That's where we are this morning in Matthew 1. But it ends with, surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. What that means, what that tells us, is that his name, Emmanuel, wasn't just a temporary name. It wasn't just a name meant to last for 33 years or so. It is, in fact, an everlasting name for Christ that makes an everlasting promise to us. Here is the promise that having come at Christmas to be God with us, he will always be God with us. Today and tomorrow and for all of eternity, he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, but always be God with us. Even more than that, since Pentecost, we know the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. So Emmanuel, God with us, dwells in us, in the person of his Spirit. So that David's words in Psalm 139 are even more true for us now than they were for him. Where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Now, today, for us as Christians, Christ, Emmanuel, is always with us present with us by his spirit. Well, let's just, I'd love us to ponder that then just for a moment here. We all know the blessing of having other people in our lives, don't we? Especially when we're walking through difficulties. God's intention for his people, for his church, is that no one should live the Christian life alone, but that we should all have other believers, loving brothers and sisters, living life alongside us. We live life best together. In the high points and the lows. We've experienced that recently, haven't we? Even in the midst of great heartache, the blessing of walking through grief and through the valley of the shadow of death together, not alone. And yet still there are times in everyone's day, big moments in everybody's lives when no one else is able to be with us. Times when we're physically all alone unable to be with others. There are some trials too in which perhaps we we, we feel no one else can fully understand and walk alongside us, even when they're sat just next to us or across the room from us. There are some valleys that no one else can completely enter into with us. No one, that is, but Jesus. For there is nowhere that he cannot go. To be with us. Nowhere he is not still present with us. Nowhere he ceases to be Emmanuel. God with us. That's the promise that dawned on this first Christmas. That now he's forever more present with us. In life and in death and in everything else between. He is God with us when we feel lonely or sick. Or guilt ridden. Or full of despair or overcome with fear. He is God with us when redundancy looms, when sickness strikes, when children rebel, when money runs out or when loved ones are taken from us. He is God with us when our whole life appears to be crumbling and the entire world seems to fall away around us. He is God with us in all these things and all other things besides. And in all these things, he sympathizes with us. More completely than we can possibly imagine. We've seen this in a way already in the fact that he took on flesh and blood and bone for us. That he became fragile like us. But more than that, we see it in the God-ordained circumstances of his birth and his life and his death. That he was born not in a palace, uh, but in a stable or something like that. That he wasn't laid in an ornate cot, but a feeding trough for the animals. That soon he and his family had to flee from a child-murdering dictator. That he would go on to know what it was to be in poverty. What it was to weep at the tomb of a friend. What it was to be slandered by enemies and betrayed by a friend. What it was to be lonely and weighed down in Gethsemane. And what it was to be all alone at Calvary. Spurgeon once said, One man he was, and yet all lives seemed to be condensed in his. It wasn't a fairy tale world that Jesus was born into, but the real world. This dark and difficult world, the same world that we find ourselves living in today. And all of these events tell us that God came to be with us, not just in our humanity, incredible in itself. But in our brokenness. God with us in our danger and our suffering. That's what it means that He came as Emmanuel. God with us not just to witness our pain, but to firsthand experience it and share it and eventually to die for it. So let me ask you, if I may, where do you find yourself this morning? What pain are you suffering? What sorrows are weighing on your heart? And what situations in life do you find yourself most alone or afraid or vulnerable? Take comfort in the promises of God this Christmas. That Christ has been there where you are and that Christ is with you and that Christ is full of sympathy. He knows firsthand what you're feeling. It says in Hebrews 4 verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what every pain is like. He knows from his own experience our deepest, darkest sorrows, physically, mentally, emotionally. He knows as a human being how they feel. And so his heart is forevermore full of infinite and unending sympathy a sympathy that is only matched by the endless storehouse of mercy and grace and kindness that he stands ever ready to show to us in our time of need. We can turn to him in our every need and cast our cares on him in every heartache and difficulty, knowing that not only is he God, but God with us. Fully God and fully man, and so fully able, mightily and tenderly to sympathize with us in all our weaknesses, and to help us. He was made exactly as we are and has been in every way tempted and tried like we are, yet gloriously, Hebrews 4 goes on to say, he did not sin. And it's in that one vitally, that's the one vitally different aspect of his humanity. In that one vitally different aspect... That our ultimate hope of life and peace and forgiveness and comfort and, and reconciliation is found. Here is why, thirdly and finally and briefly this morning, Christ is able so completely to be Emmanuel, God with us. Yesterday, today and forever. Here is why. Because he came to be God with us to save us. Verse 21, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That name, Emmanuel, it was more like one of, Jesus, one of his titles. But his actual name, the name the angels tell Joseph to give to this child when he's born, is Jesus. Which gets right to the heart of why he came. His name means, the Lord saves. And here is why he had himself to come. Here's why he couldn't just send an angel or a messenger in his place. Nothing less than God himself, born into the world as a child. Nothing less than the Son of God, taking on our very own flesh, coming to dwell with us and live for us and die for us. Nothing less than fully God and fully man, crucified on a cross for us, could possibly be sufficient to save us. From our sins. If he hadn't been Emmanuel God with us, he couldn't have been Jesus, the saviour of sinners. Only one who was fully God and fully man could come and die in our place. And so not thinking twice about it, the Son of God took on flesh for us. He became God with us in a manger and then just 30 something years later, that same flesh that had been cradled in his mother and father's arms, that same flesh was pierced and broken for us as he hung on a cross at Calvary. He was born into our world at Christmas to be God with us, to save us at Easter. And still today, he is God with us, able and eager to save all who might decide, even today, for the very first time to repent and believe in him. And if you've never done that before, won't you run to him and turn to him for refuge and rescue today? He stands with our outstretched arms again this morning and invites you to come. But to every Christian, here is what he says to us so clearly, finally, through our passage this morning. I am forevermore your Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with you and you with me forever. This morning, our Savior, fully God and fully man, sits at the right hand of the Father on high, still bearing the nail marks in his hands and feet, human hands and human feet, that we will one day touch and see, but which even now declares to us, see, I have borne your own sins once and for all in my body on that tree. Though your sins were like scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. They say to us, nothing can separate you from my love. That, of course, is really the, the, the overarching message of the whole Bible. But as we've just seen, it's also right there in seed form in the very first chapter of Matthew, in a prophetic promise and an angelic announcement given to a very normal kind of troubled fiancé called Joseph. At the news of Mary's pregnancy, remember, first of all, Joseph's whole world began to fall apart. But then he heard the revelation of this child's names, of where he'd come from and what he would be for them. Then Joseph's perspective was transformed. His fear was transformed into faith, despair into delight, heartache into hope, and he was enabled to go on trusting in the Lord, to go on following him, even rejoicing in the good news of what God in his grace was doing in the coming of Jesus. And so too, those two names and the person behind them can totally transform our experience of Christmas this year. They can give us, he can give us great hope and comfort and joy. No matter where we find ourselves, we can be assured this Christmas the Lord himself is with us. He is not a distant figure looking on from afar. He is Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, with a heart full of love and compassion for us. So to come back around, it really doesn't matter what we might choose to do. In our traditions to celebrate Christmas this year, all that matters is that we do all we can to find our rest in him, to cast our cares on him, to behold him and thank him, love him, serve him and adore him. Jesus, our saviour, God with us, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge together that our The great joy and hope of Christmas is Christ himself. That Jesus is not just the icing on the cake or some added extra, but the whole reason that we celebrate at this time of year and all throughout the year. And so, Lord, we pray, please satisfy our souls in your son again this Christmas. Help us to rest in him and glorify his name. Exalt him in us satisfy our souls in him, we pray. Not even just in his salvation, but in Emmanuel himself, God with us. And help each one of us to receive him as the greatest gift of Christmas and gladly declare that we are made for him and will be with him forever. In his precious name we pray together. Amen.